The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very warm welcome to this Wednesday edition of Squawk Box. In your headlines, President Trump triggers a sell-off on Wall Street by cancelling stimulus negotiations until after the election. With Bridgewater founder Ray Dalio telling CNBC it's a damaging move for the U.S. economy. Those who are not going to get the money are going to be, um, it's going to be a lot of stress. So um, it's uh, certainly not a good thing. Uh, uh, Jay Powell was right with his comments The president tells lawmakers to focus on Amy Coney Barrett's Supreme Court nomination while vowing to take part in next week's presidential debate as rival Joe Biden raises concerns the president may still be infectious. Elsewhere, we've got the IMF Managing Director Kristalina Gorgieva telling CNBC it will be a long ascent to a pre-crisis level. Bart says the fund plans to upgrade its global GDP forecast. It is less dire, but dire nonetheless. Uh, uh, and the reasons are two. One, very effective uh, central bank action, massive liquidity injection, positive spillover for some emerging markets that were able to return to borrow. And crude prices turn negative on stimulus concerns, but supply worries persist amid an extended strike in Norway whilst Hurricane Delta threatens to close platforms in the Gulf of Mexico. US President Donald Trump has ended negotiations with Democrats over a new coronavirus relief package until after the November election. The news sent shockwaves across Wall Street with all major indices closing lower. The president broke the news on Twitter, accusing Democrats of not negotiating in good faith and instead instructed his administration to focus on securing the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. Well, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi denounced the president's decision, accusing him of putting himself first at the expense of the country. Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden also called out the president, saying he is, quote, turning his back on the American people. Speaking to our U.S. colleagues, Cleveland Federal Reserve President Loretta Mester said the president's decision will hurt efforts to revive the economy. Timing is less important than actually having a package. Uh, I've built a, a package into my forecast of continued recovery. And certainly, you know, the recovery will continue without it, I think. But it's going to be a much slower recovery. And it's disappointing that we didn't get a package done. Loretta Mester there. Well, speaking ahead of Trump's announcement, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell warned that failure to provide more support for households and businesses could have, quote, tragic consequences. A prolonged slowing in the pace of improvement over time could trigger 
typical recessionary dynamics as weakness feeds on weakness. A long period of unnecessarily slow progress could continue to exacerbate existing disparities in our economy. That would be tragic, especially in light of our country's progress on these issues in the years leading up to the pandemic. The expansion is still far from complete. At this early stage, I would argue that the risks of policy intervention are still asymmetric. Too little support would lead to a weak recovery, creating unnecessary hardship for households and businesses. Over time, household insolvencies and business bankruptcies would rise, harming the productive capacity of the economy and holding back wage growth. So, Jay Powell there. And what, what I thought was very interesting, you know, the central banks have been in the crosshairs ever since the global financial crisis. For those in the market who say, look, you have brought inflation, but only inflation of asset prices. And what that has done largely has it's improved the lives and the lifestyles of those who own the assets, but it's, it's done very little for those who are living from from paycheck to paycheck. And Jay Powell very purposefully used his opportunity to speak about the stimulus to say this is only going to increase inequality. And very interesting that he chose to focus on that at a time when the central banks themselves have been directly in fire over what many say has been a monetary policy that has only deepened that well of inequality. But as you'd imagine, Jay Powell not alone, Loretta Mester making comments, and we've seen central banks as well, this side of the Atlantic, also arguing that it's not down to monetary policy now, it's down to governments to get on with more fiscal stimulus at this point and hang the debt consequences. Well, the market, as you can see here, took it fairly negatively in the United States. There is this sense that economic momentum is slowing down. You saw that in the job hirings numbers uh, last week. So we got a bit of a sell-off here, but it wasn't, to be honest, as deep a sell-off as we have seen in some recent sessions. And um, when we look at Asia, I think you'll get a slightly different tone to this as well. And I think the markets are kind of cynical about what President Trump has said and whether this is a negotiating tactic. Well, a little bit later on, he did talk about stimulus for the airlines, but it was all a little bit too late, to be quite honest, because we'd already seen a lot of the big sell-off here and that associated with the idea that economic growth is slowing and there is no immediate stimulus support coming just to prop up that uh, loss of momentum. So what have we got here? We've got uh, Jay Powell then saying, we want stimulus. You've got Donald Trump saying, the stimulus talks are off, dead as a dodo at this point. The Treasury market also reacted to the news flow here. And we have seen a bit of a trend as the market has begun to conjure with the idea of a democratic victory that we get a steepening in the yield curve. Um, what we uh, saw yesterday, though, I think immediately after uh, Donald Trump um, made his uh, Twitter announcement was an unwinding of the steepest bond market sell-off in a month, the 10-year uh, Treasury ultimately uh, slipping back to uh, 
0.74% here. But just keep your eye on the bond market. I know there are those out there who just who say, look, you know, there's no information because the Fed's in there, because other central banks are in the debt markets at the moment. Inevitably, that distorts the information you get from the Treasury market. But never forget that this is a very deep market, a very big market, and ultimately there are some meaningful signals coming through, particularly as the market focuses on the idea that maybe into next year we do get some action uh, around um, inflation numbers, if perhaps not on interest rates per se. Well, Bridgewater Associates founder Ray Dalio spoke to CNBC moments after President Trump called off stimulus talks with the Democrats. Uh, He was asked how Trump's intervention would impact the U.S. economic recovery. It's going to be a significant negative on the economy. Uh, That's, you know, a lot of money, uh, whatever it would have been, $2 trillion or whatever. And uh, it's going to be a political issue. Uh, Those who are not going to get the money are going to be, um, it's going to be a lot of stress. So um, it's uh, certainly not a good thing. Uh, uh, Jay Powell was right with his comments. I agree with them. Right, Mr. Daly, what does this mean for the U.S. election outcome? What is your thinking out there on that front, especially at a time when, you know, the outcome really holds the key for a lot of the problems that the U.S. is facing internally, a lot of the internal conflicts on rising debt, rising social disorder, as well as a wealth gap? You've put your finger on it. We're now in a situation where um, there's a great deal of polarity. There's um, the left and the right, um, the rich and the poor. <clears throat> uh, this exists in terms of fragmentation. There's a lot of fragmentation <clears throat> that are going on. And the election is going to be uh, a, a big factor. It'll change taxes. It'll change spending. Um, and so um, it's a very, it's, it's a reflection of the time. And even if when we get past the election, there are going to be odds. Um, it's so bad, I would say, that uh, there are real questions as to how the election will go. Uh, there are not clear rules um, by on voting. For example, uh, the issue of um, absentee ballots. Um, there are not clear rules as to how long it'll be um, that they should continue to count those and so on. It'll all be done by states. There is an environment right now where there's a great deal of internal conflict, and that is something that will enter into the election and also beyond the election. Um, it carries through to um, uh, how they deal with each other in terms of stacking the court or um, how they're talking about having uh, Puerto Rico and um, the Washington, D.C. be states because they would be democratic states. There was uh, all of that going on. It's a bad environment. Ray Dalio there. Uh, Paul Gambles is with us now, co-founder of MBMG Group. Paul, good morning to you. Uh, just uh, Penny for your thoughts initially on what the announcement from the president means in terms of how markets are likely to behave as we run up to the election. Well, look, I, I think you summed it up perfectly earlier, Jeff, in your introduction. So, um, you know, we're, we're pretty sure this 
from Trump, nothing to be really surprised about. This is a, a you know, bog standard Donald Trump negotiating tactic. Uh, I think there's two things. He, uh, he, he wants a stimulus package, but he wants it that in a way that's going to be more favorable for, uh, for his election campaign. Uh, and, you know, as a, as a classic narcissist, I think he wants it to be the Donald Trump stimulus package and not uh, not have uh, Nancy Pelosi's uh, imprimatur on it. So, I, I, for one thing, I don't think that stimulus is dead. We we still think, you know, on balance, it's more likely than not that some stimulus package will happen uh, between now and November the third, and uh, when it does, that will probably create a, a, a rally. Uh, but you know, we've been saying that for us closer we get to November the 3rd, you know, it's, um, it's, you know, Halloween is really a time to be, uh, to be, you know, out of the market safe, because as, as Ray Dalio said, it's the lack of clarity, it's the uncertainty that we're going to get from November 3rd onwards. And, you know, we're going to be more and more aware of that the closer that we get to, to polling day. Let me ask you um, how much importance you place on the steepening in the uh, Treasury curve we've seen here. I think there was a sort of big uh, leap on the uh, steepening yesterday, the big piece in the FT, Refinitiv all over it, the fact that the 10s to 30s spread seems to be implying that we will get a pickup in in inflation here, which obviously has consequences for lots of different asset classes. But do you believe in the signals the market's sending? No, not at all. I think it's nonsense. I think I think it's it's important because it's a great buying opportunity for the long end of the curve. People people should be buying um, you know, thirty year treasuries at this stage, and ideally uh, something like zero coupons because uh, you get a bigger bang for your buck with those. Um, all the rationale that are being given for steepening, actually, they don't make any economic sense. They don't fit in with the financial system that we have. You know, Jay Powell last night um, got a lot of sympathy for some of the things he said about, you know, what a problem inequality is. But actually, he's one of the architects of it. And now he's saying, can somebody else bail him out of this? And and he's, he's still talking as though he controls the yield curve, as though he controls U.S. interest rates. He doesn't. He's strapped in. He's a passenger. It's actually, you know, it's economic data that are going to determine uh, where yields go to. And the idea that we're going to get inflation, that we're going to get a steeper curve, that we're going to get higher rates, I think I can't see any way within the way the system actually does work that we're going to get that output. So, you know, one of the two big buying opportunities that we've really got right now are long treasuries. Oh, come on, Paul. Look, um, good morning, my friend, by the way. Look, there's a sign behind you that says growing and protecting client assets since 1996. Well, a large amount of that time I've known you and you've been bearish and you've been wrong, Paul. So no matter what you've been saying, you've been concerned about this market. I've found loads of articles where you've come on our channel and you've said the market's going to crash. I got one from 2018 said we could fall 40% plus. I think you've said more than that at times as well, Paul. You've been wrong for a very long time from being bearish on the market, haven't you? Well, I don't think so. I mean, you know, if you look at the returns that we've generated during that time, then uh, uh, that, that would actually show we must be getting something right. But um, look, we, we've been making two points. One is that structurally, we're in a very expensive market. We're in the kind of market that once in a lifetime can crash by more than 50% and not recover because of the amount of private debt that's out there. That's been a, a backdrop for um, 10 to 15 years right now. It hasn't gone away. It's still there. It doesn't mean that it's going to happen tomorrow, but it means we're in that kind of a, a really susceptible vicinity, that kind of an area. The other thing is, you know, from time to time, 
we've seen cyclical warnings. And actually, you know, 2018 was a bad year for uh, for, for equity markets, particularly, uh, you know, the, the second half, which was when we called that. 2015, when we were alarmed, was a bad year for equity markets. 2012 was, 2008 was. So most of the time that we've seen uh, cyclical dangers, we've actually got it right. And that's probably why the returns have actually been so good for the last 10 or 15 years, because we've been able to uh, to, to respond to that. Um, you know, we uh, at the start of this year, we were very negative on equities very positive on treasuries that was actually uh, that was actually a great place to be mm -hmm. but paul look I mean, this is a lovely debate and look, don't get me wrong i just pulled off my bookshelf satajit das with his banquet of consequences you uber bears out there make very interesting cases but you tweaked what i just said there you said there's some cyclical cases for bear market moves and that you've been on the right side of those that's not what you've been telling me for a long long time and to jeffrey you've been talking about the structural issues in the market don't get me wrong i read satajit i read all oh, you uber bears and i get it it's really compelling but in in terms of the investment case, there isn't a structural reason at the moment why you shouldn't buy equities, is there, given the weight of money that just keeps getting thrown at it. Even Madame Lagarde talking about more liquidity in the last 24 hours. We've never, we've never said you shouldn't buy equities. What we've said is be cognizant of the risk. And the structural risk is that we face a depression because of the sheer level of private debt that's out there. That's That's been hanging around. Um, for 10, 15, 20 years. So we, we've, you know, we're not calling the timing on when those structural chickens come home to roost. But what we're saying is this is a really dangerous environment. It has been for a long time. And actually, we keep delaying the, uh, the, 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 the coming home to roost of those chickens by measures, extraordinary measures that have been taken within the financial system to sort of extend and protect and, and, and delay uh, the financial system having to deal with its debt burden. And that just makes it bigger and bigger all the time. We're not saying that can't happen again. Um, we're saying that in the short term, we'd be really nervous about what happens in November because of the US election. So uh, from a tactical point of view, that's a real worry. From a structural point of view, all the problems that have been underlying the global economy for the last 10, 15, 20 years, they're, they're still there. Debt is at levels where it can do real damage and take many, many years, if not decades, to recover. That, that hasn't gone away. We're not saying that comes into play tomorrow, but we're saying it's, you know, if you're doing risk management, you've got to be aware of the fact that we're in that environment. Um, and therefore, we could get once in a lifetime crash. Paul, let's just circle back to where we started. Uh, you and I both then are a, a little sceptical that stimulus is permanently off the table. It will come back at some stage. It may be before the election. It may be after. If it um, is delivered and it's sizable, what do you want to own in those circumstances? Is it time just to continue to be uh, overweight of the fang stocks and those technology companies that represent growth? Or do you go to value at that point? I, I think, you know, you've got to look at the highest beta. The highest beta tends to be fangs. We've got a big cloud on the horizon in terms of, you know, whether the election result is an existential threat for fangs or not, because uh, whether some of them get broken up. But uh, we're not thinking about holding them to election and past the election. So uh, last week we started buying fangs, tech, NASDAQ. 
uh, S&P 500 as a, a, because we thought that stimulus was coming and we thought that there was a little bit of value in those stocks now. Um, but we want to be out of those well before Halloween. What we also bought is we've started buying gold mining stocks and we're likely to hold those way up, you know, uh, beyond the election because uh, we think they'd ben benefit from stimulus. We also think that they would benefit from, you know, the chaos of uh, American presidential election 2020. Mr. Gambles, always a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed it this morning with Jeff and I. Uh, Paul Gambles, I've sent you an email. Co-founder of uh, MBMG Group. Protecting and uh, growing client money since 1996, he tells me there. Uh, right, let us move on. Uh, Twitter and Facebook have taken action against social media posts by President Trump, suggesting COVID-19 is similar to the flu. Uh, Twitter said the tweet spread is harmful and misleading information about the virus. Uh, Facebook took down the president's post. However, it had already been shared around 26,000 times, uh, according to the company's data. And meanwhile, President Trump has said he is looking forward to the uh, presidential debate, which is scheduled for October 15th in Miami. However, Miami's Republican mayor, Francis Suarez, has asked the commander-in-chief to stay away from the city if he is not COVID-free. The president's Democratic opponent, Joe Biden, has said medical guidelines should decide whether or not the debate takes place. If he still has COVID, we shouldn't have a debate. Uh, in a debate, I think, by the way, I think we're going to have to follow very strict guidelines. Too many people have been infected. And it's a very serious problem. And so I'll be guided by the guidelines of the Cleveland Clinic and what the docs say the right thing to do if, if, if and when he shows up for debate. Joe Biden there. Well, President Trump's health will be in focus at tonight's vice presidential debate between Mike Pence and Kamala Harris. The pair will appear with a plexiglass shield between them. The legal threat to the Affordable Care Act, as well as the battle over the Supreme Court seat, is also set to dominate the agenda. White House presidential adviser Stephen Miller has become the latest to test positive for the virus from Donald Trump's inner circle. Miller said he has been in self-isolation for five days and tested negative each day uh, until Tuesday. Meanwhile, the Pentagon has announced that a number of top military leaders are in self-quarantine after a Coast Guard commander tested positive on Monday. Still to come this morning then, the IMF says it plans to raise its global growth forecasts, but the fund's managing director has warned the outlook still remains challenging. And if there was a Pulitzer for podcasts, I'm sure this would be up there as well. For more on the president's decision to end stimulus talks with Democrats, check out the aforementioned Squawk Box podcast. Jeff and I'll be back after a short break. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Welcome back. Here's a stunning sentence. I didn't think I'd be saying this. The IMF says it plans to 
upgrade its global growth forecast. Yeah, it's extraordinary, isn't it? Uh, this after the global economy apparently performed better than expected in the second and third quarters, thanks to vast amounts of fiscal support and monetary policy actions. But the fund's managing director, Kristalina uh, Gorgieva, told CNBC exclusively that the path forward remains uncertain. It is less dire, but dire nonetheless. Uh, uh, and the reasons are two. One, very effective uh, central bank action, massive liquidity injection, positive spillover for some emerging markets that were able to return to borrow. And two, adjusting to function with the pandemic still around us. Uh, what we see is uh, Eurozone, the uh, US uh, doing better than we feared, uh, China surprising on the upside. What about this concern about a second wave? It's happening in Europe. It's happening to some extent in the United States. If we do get a full-blown second wave of the virus, what does that do to the economic recovery? Well, we are projecting the recovery to be uh, partial and even uncertain, exactly because we do not yet have a definitive exit from the health crisis. Uh, therefore, if we are hit, as we are now actually being hit by uh, sparks of uh, uh, coronavirus infections, uh, that is uh, slowing down the recovery. But governments have learned how to zero on areas where there are spikes. Many are doing better now than in the beginning of the uh, crisis. Uh, and uh, there is more in terms of uh, medical capacity than we had a couple of months ago. That all helps to not get to a complete lockdown, uh, which we don't uh, anticipate uh, as happening. Although, of course, uh, uh, we have to see how the winter impacts uh, adjusting to the pandemic. So I, I take my hat off to anybody who can give a forecast. I take my hat off to the Federal Reserve because they know exactly what they're going to be doing on interest rates to the end of 2023. But, Jeffrey, I put a lot of this akin to the work practice by Margaret Ann Lake as well. And you're saying to me, who's Margaret Ann Lake? But you do know her by her other name, and that is Mystic Meg, who is a forecaster of fortunes in the very popular uh, The Sun Red Top as well. And quite frankly, I admire anybody giving a projection for 2021, 2022 and beyond as well, because it is an exercise in mysticism, isn't it, at the moment? I know we can look back and say, this is how we performed in the second quarter. This is what we think we're doing in the third quarter. But anyone who thinks they know where the world's going to be, where the vaccine situation is going to be in the first quarter of 2021 onwards, I have to say, I doff my cap to their optimism that they can give an accurate reading because the range of possibilities is bigger than ever, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, let's be frank about this. Uh, it's a it's a big guess and it's a little bit like sitting in your car and instead of driving forward, deciding that you're actually going to go to your next destination in reverse and you're going to do that looking through the rearview mirror. And that's the point, isn't it? That everything that we're getting at the moment 
that is uh, related to the future is built on our understanding of the virus in the past. And that's the fatal flaw in all of these forecasts. But I suspect it's why the IMF is trying to be a little bit more upbeat at this point, because even as we talk about the second wave, this is clearly not the second wave like the first wave because we know so much more about the transmission of the virus we know so much more about early intervention and what drugs can actually reduce the likelihood of going into intensive care and we also know very clearly from the current rates of infection and the death rates that fatalities are falling given the increase that we're seeing in infections so i think it's it's perfectly understandable that the IMF should at this point be saying, well, based a little bit on the past, we now think that we can adjust our expectations for the future. But of course, we are just locked into these classical economic models that have been, well, I wouldn't say useless over the last 10 years, but quite frankly, have led us down all sorts of rabbit holes where you've now got the likes of Jay Powell, as we discussed earlier, flagging up inequality and the risks of rising inequality if governments don't step in with uh, greater fiscal intervention. Uh, Jay Powell, look at what the central banks have achieved over the last 10 years since the global financial crisis. And I think you have the answer as to why we've seen some uh, deepening in the levels of inequality. But hey, I'm pushing us off in a whole new direction, Steve. Yeah, it's talking to star signs. I think you're uh, you're a Capricorn, aren't you, Jeffrey? As they say, yeah. <laughs> I just know just because I think you should do the lottery. It's just I think you're going to have a very very good day. Apparently. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.